Father God, we just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to, Lord, just to come to church and to worship you. And God, as we always pray, Lord, we've sang songs, we've, we've had times of prayer, and we're coming to you right now. Lord, there's something inside of us that calls us to worship you calls us to give ourselves to you. There's something in us that we understand that, Lord. That's why most of us are here. Maybe somebody came today because it's Mother's Day and they just wanted to make their mom happy. But Lord, even for that person, Lord, there's something inside of us that draws us to you, that speaks to our hearts to know that you are truth, that you are real. I pray, Father God, that we would be humble and submissive to you in this moment. That we would not have to understand everything. We wouldn't have to have an explanation of everything. But God, we would receive you through faith. That we would receive your word through faith. That we would begin to seek your face to seek your ways and to know what it is that you want from us in this life because deep down inside we know there's so much more than just what we're trying to get or achieve. Father, I pray that you'd be with us today, that you'd speak into our hearts. Lord, I thank you so much for the mothers that we have. Thank you so much for what they've done for us in order for us to even be here to the points that we are today. And Father, as we celebrate and we honor them, Lord, we also pray for people around the world that today is not an easy day for them. They may have lost their mothers. Maybe there's some moms in here who don't have their children. And so, God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be with them today. Lord, that you would comfort them and keep them in a time that is painful while so many other people get to celebrate. Sometimes that can be frustrating. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us today to be conscious and aware that while some of us get to celebrate, others are hurting. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be among them, in them, and that you would be sufficient enough to sustain them during this time. To know that even though we live in a hurting and broken world, you still love us and you still have a plan for us and that you are more than enough, even for our brokenness. Father, as we continue in your word, as we continue to talk about your word, I pray that you would continue to reveal truth in every one of our lives. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be called yours. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to see everybody this morning. I'm going to try my best not to cough on you, but did some outside work this weekend, so I'm hoping it's allergies. Um, anyway, we are talking about God's words, where we've been the past few weeks, where we're going to be the next few weeks. And today's focus is talking about how God's word is eternal. All right? That's huge. 
Um, before we continue to talk about it, I want to read our, our passage of Scripture that we've devoted this whole series to. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, as Paul writes to young Timothy, who's leading the church. And he says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so as we're talking about this, the main word I want to call your attention to that keeps appearing in that passage is the simple word teach. I mean, you look from the very first, it says you have been taught the Holy Scriptures. They teach us what is wrong in our lives. They teach us how to live for God. They teach us how to do what is right. God's Word is a tool for teaching in your lives. And as we're talking about eternity, how God's Word is eternal, God's Word teaches you about eternity. Now, I don't know about you guys, but for me, the whole reason I ever started pursuing God in my life was because I wanted eternal life. I was faced with this decision of, hey, I might not be as good of a person as what I always thought I was, and I have not received Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, and I have not devoted my life to him, and I have not committed myself to him, and according to what other people are saying, I won't go to heaven. And so I started pursuing God as a means of acquiring eternal life, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what we want, right? Eternal life. How many of you want eternal life? All right, anybody not? I mean, the idea is if it's real, then that's technically we should want it. Like there's something about it that we want. There's something built inside who you are to understand that there's something beyond this life and there's something in you that desires to live eternally. And God is the answer to all that. And when you're looking at God and you're looking at his word, what we're talking about, Something you need to understand about God's Word is that it is eternal. Now, we've mentioned that over the past couple of weeks and, you know, at points in times, but we're focusing on this today because in order for something to be eternal, it has to live. But there's a difference between physical life and spiritual life, right? I mean, we said it last week, you could have everything in this life that you need, all the money, all the food, all the clothing, all the house, all the cars, everything you need to live a great life and still be rotting from the inside. Right? And there are people who have absolutely nothing. We had a conversation with a guy driving a boat whenever we were in Haiti on a mission trip a few years ago. Poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And as we were there on the island, and you just witnessed nothing. Like these people had nothing. And it was so mind-boggling to me as we rode down the road and we would see people sitting on piles of rocks. And they would take a hammer and they would sit on a pile of rocks and they would beat the rocks until they turned into small rocks. And then they would sell those rocks as gravel for people to do projects and stuff. And that was one of the main jobs that people had. And then other people were taking any kind of vegetation they could have burn it down, turn it into charcoal so people could use it to cook on it. It's just like nothing. They had nothing. 
And then one of the guys that was driving the, one of the boats that we were on, and he was just talking about how much, how happy he was and how much he loved God. And even though they had nothing, they could be perfectly content because they know that they had Jesus Christ in their heart. That's something the world doesn't understand. And there's a difference between physical life and eternal life. And when you look at God's word, God's word provides eternal life. It provides spiritual life to you. And in order for something to have to live eternally like God's word, it has to be alive. And we talked about God's word being alive last week, right? But it's not physical alive. It's spiritually alive. And so let's read this. Psalm chapter 111, verses 7 through 10. And look at what the author writes. He says, he's talking about God. All he does is just and good. And his commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true. To be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. He has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name he has. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. And all who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. And the common word that you keep seeing in that passage is forever. And how he has paid a full ransom. There, there's an understanding of completeness inside God's word. That it's not only full, but it's forever. It's eternal. You look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. As Jesus is addressing his followers in the last time, on his last days on earth. And he says in verse 35, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Remember how he said last week, everything that you know of, that you see, touch, feel, smell, there's nothing in this world that's going to transcend from this world into eternal life. Nothing. But God's word will. Heaven and earth will disappear, but his word will remain forever. This is the only thing that's going to transcend. Even when you go to heaven, you're going to have a new spiritual eternal body. And, I, and some of you meant, well, I thought our body's going to be, like, I want you to think about this. I'm 37. I don't want the body I got now. There's all kinds of stuff wrong with it. You with me? Like, I want a new body. Like, I want to be healthier than what I am. I'm looking forward to my new body. Everything will fade away. God's word will remain forever. Okay? So that's where we are. Point number one. The problem is with us is that we have to take advantage of what we have. God's word, point number one, is engaging if we engage it. And I say that because I want you to think about this. I've never met a single person who just woke up one day and said, you know what, I think I just want to read God's word today. It called to me. It sounds fun. You ever know anybody like that? Typically, what happens is, if someone's, I've heard so many testimonies of people who are in a hotel room, they were miserable, life was falling apart, stuff was going on. They opened up the drawer beside the bed in the hotel room. There's a Gideon's Bible place there, and they started reading the Bible, changed their life. You hear stories about that. You hear stories about people feeling convicted, seeking after God and wanting to go after God. I, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying I've never heard of someone say, I just wanted to read God's Word one day because it sounded fun. It's not something that we are naturally, like from a worldly point of view, going to say, I want to do this. This sounds like a cool hobby. Let's do this. But God's word is very engaging if you engage it. 
It's captivating. It's beautiful. And it, there's truth and there's eternity in it. And the biggest thing that calls to us is eternal life. And so whenever you begin to read the one thing in this world that is eternal, and it calls you and it speaks to you, it is very engaging, but you have to engage it in order for it to be engaging to you. And you can't just hear grandma or grandpa or mama or daddy talk about it. It's something that you have to be willing to devote your life to for you to engage it to understand what's truly there. Because you need to know that it's not just somebody trying to manipulate you or impact your life or get you to do what they want you to do, but know that there's a loving God who has a plan for your life. And your plan for your life is completely different from the person sitting next to you. But God's word is eternal and powerful and amazing, and it can reveal truth to you that's specifically for you while revealing truth to someone else that's specifically for someone else. But we have to engage it. We're going to look at Psalm 119 here in a second. We're going to look at several verses from Psalm 119. But I want to tell you a little bit about this because we've read from it a couple times the past couple weeks. Psalm 119, we don't know who the author is, but a lot of biblical scholars believe that Psalm 119 would have probably taken almost a lifetime, at least several years, if not a lifetime, for someone to compose. And it's more than just sitting down and writing a, a chapter of Scripture, just writing some words, but it's actually an acrostic poem consisting of 22 different units, and they represent the 22 letters of the alphabet. And what an acrostic poem is if you don't know, it's Mother's Day. So let's just take mom, M-O-M, all right? So if you write a little three-line poem, you say mom, the first uh, word of that sentence is going to start with the letter M. The second uh, line of the sentence or the poem is going to start with the letter O, and then the third is going to start with the M. You get it? Across it. So you take the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, which are 22 letters, and you go down, and they start writing, they start with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and every section is devoted to a letter. And so, number one, devoted to that specific letter, each section has eight lines in the section, and every line in that section starts with the letter that it's devoted to. Very creative, very specific, very thought out. And it's devoted over years of time. And one of the reasons why they think that it would have taken a lifetime is because when you read it, it's not like someone just, you know, when you have an idea and things just flow in that moment. But it's kind of one of those things that looks like someone wrote like a section and then they came back to it later. Like it, it's not necessarily flowing as in it all fits together like so perfectly that it's just like someone wrote it all at the same time. But it's all focused on the same exact thing. But it's very different. It's like someone just kept coming back to it and adding stuff in later and writing a new section here and there. But all of chapter 119 is devoted to glorifying God's written word. You read every passage, 176 verses, completely devoted to God's written word. And the, um, the Mesorites, which was a group of Hebrew or Jewish scholars, said that out of 176 verses, God's word is mentioned 175 times out of 176 verses. Every single verse devoted to God's word, devoted to glorifying God's word, the beauty, the impact, the power, the eternity of God's word. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. So when I told you to turn to the book of Psalms a couple weeks ago, 
Psalm 119 is probably not the one that you want to start with if you're just reading the Bible for the first time. It's a long chapter, longest one in the Bible. But whoever wrote it absolutely loved God's Word. They understood how important God's Word was. And so let's look at Psalm 119. We're just going to read one section, one eight-line section. Verses 129 through 136. And look at the heart behind this. I mean, it's almost kind of like a love letter. He says, your laws are wonderful. No wonder I obey them. The teaching of your word gives light so even the simple can understand. Now, I'm going to stop right there because there's a lot of young people in here today. And God's word is very intimidating. I will admit that. Whenever I first started reading, it was very intimidating. It's a huge book. And, and for years, this was the only book that I had ever read through on my own. Even in school, when I had book reports, I never read the whole book. Never. I would cheat. I would plagiarize. I would I'd do all kinds of stuff. I was not going to read the whole book. It's intimidating. I'm not a good reader. It's intimidating. It is not easy to understand at first. But if you read it and you devote yourself to it, it's amazing at how the understanding comes with the time that you're willing to put into it. You don't, go ha- you don't have to go digging. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to be intelligent. It says even the simple can understand. And I'm telling you that because I'm a terrible reader. And when I started reading this in high school, I had never read a full book by myself unless it was like a Dr. Seuss book or something. But God gives you understanding. Even the simple can understand it. In verse 131, I pant with expectation, longing for your commands. Come show me your mercy as you do for all who love your name. Guide my steps by your word so I will not be overcome by evil. Ransom me from the oppression of evil people. Then I can obey your commandments. Look upon me with love. Teach me your decrees. Rivers of tears gush from my eyes because people disobey your instructions. Now, I want you to think about this in your own personal life. When's the last time you cried that tears came from your eyes because you disobeyed God, much less because you were watching other people disobey God? There is something that happened in this author's life where he realized the absolute eternal importance and necessity of God's word not just in himself, but in other people, that even he watched other people disobey it, and it caused him to cry because he realized what was going to come of them. There's a need in our life to be engaged in God's word. And when you read this passage right here, even the author, who is very familiar with God's word, who pants with expectation, who longs for it, is constantly asking, the teaching of your word gives light. Guide my steps. Ransom me, look upon me, teach me your decrees. There's a common theme in it where he's saying, God, even though I know it, even though I understand the need for it and I understand the value of it, continue to teach it to me, continue to guide me, continue to help me. And there's an understanding in this passage that even for this person that he needs God's word in order to live and serve God. That he can't do it without God's word. Which brings us to point number two. The word is efficient when used efficiently. It's efficient. It's perfect. It's eternal. It is absolutely everything that you need it to be. 
but it is not going to be in your, efficient in your life if you don't use it efficiently. Let me give you an example, a worldly example. Many of you have heard my parents talk about how terrible I was as a kid. Let me give you an example of how annoying I was. When I was little, I stayed sick a lot. Funny, I'm kind of, you know, snotting and stuff today. Strep throat, tonsillitis, sinus infections, constantly stuff. And it was one of those things that, like, it lingered. I was sick all the time, vomiting all the time. If you got kids and they get sick, you know how annoying that is. Like, ours have been sick a lot here lately. It's just, it's draining because you're constantly caring for them. You're constantly waking up in the middle of the night making sure they're okay. I was sick a lot. And like good parents, they would go to the doctor and they would get medicines, antibiotics, all kinds of stuff. And like the amazing child I was, they would give me the medicine and they knew that I was an annoying kid and that I had like gag reflexes and I didn't like taking medicine and I hated it and I wouldn't take my pills and so they would sit in there, they would watch me put the pill in my mouth, watch me take a drink and I would pocket that joker in the back of my mouth, drink my drink and take the pill out once they went out of the room and instead of throwing it in the trash can... I would lift up the trash bag, put it underneath the trash bag in the trash can. And what's weird is I don't know how long I did that. But a, and it was my chore as a kid to take the trash out. So it's like I would take the bags out and go take the trash, put a new bags in all throughout the house. And it never occurred to me in my genius child mind to like dump the medicine in the bag whenever you take it out. I just left it in the bottom of the trash can. For whatever reason, one day they come in and they pull the trash bags out and they take out the trash that day and they see probably enough medicine to cure a third world country of people, of antibiotics and stuff down in the bottom of the trash can. I had my tonsils removed. They were talking about taking out my adenoids. I would have to go back to the doctor over and over and over again because I stayed sick constantly because I didn't take the medicine. Like how crazy is that? Can you imagine how frustrating and annoying it was for them whenever they saw all those pills, all those pills they paid money for, all the time they spent going to the doctor to get them, to the pharmacy to get them, all the times they spent fighting with me, dealing with vomit and all the stuff whenever I was sick, during all that time. I could have avoided all that if I would have just taken the medicine. The medicine was efficient. There was nothing wrong with it, but it was not used efficiently. We're dealing with a day and time where we have God's word perfectly available. It sits on our bookshelves. We have it on our phones. Most of the time it collects dust. It's not the fact that God's word is not good enough. It's the fact that we're not efficiently using it in our life. So let me give you some awesome statistics because you guys know I love statistics. I love when people do research. Now, most of the time when people do research and they, they start questioning people, it's like a few hundred people. They do these small surveys and stuff like that. And, and usually the statistics are, it's like, you know, you could kind of compose it to be in a regional thing or an area of people and how they feel and not really apply it. The Center of Bible Engagement performed a study several years ago with over 400,000 people across the world. Like when you talk about the adequacy of really doing something in depth, this is probably one of the most in-depth surveys that's ever been done. 400,000 people across the world from between the ages of 8 years old to 80 years old. And what they were asking people, the main focus was how much do you engage in God's Word? That's what they wanted to find out. It's going to be on the screen so you can kind of follow along and read it. 
But let me, sh- let me share with you what the study revealed. They found out of the 400,000 people between the ages of 8 and 80, for people who read Scripture one time a week, it had very little to no impact in their life. They were no different than people who did not read it at all. You with me? Once a week. We have people who are professing Christians who don't read Scripture once a week. You with me? Twice a week. Little to no impact at all. No difference in their life compared to people who did not read Scripture or did not profess to be Christians. Three times a week. No difference. Little to no impact at all in their life. But then all of a sudden what they found is is that if they read four times a week, there was this amazing jump in people's lifestyle and their habits and how they were willing to serve the Lord. Because you think about it, three days a week is not half of a week, but four days a week is over half of the week. So, I mean, I just want you to think about this. If you're willing to commit more than half of your week to reading Scripture, look at the difference that it impacted people who were professing believers. Because people who only read one time a week and profess belief in Jesus Christ did not affect them at all. People who were professing believers who read four days a week or more, 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Uh, Okay, not that big of a deal. 32% less likely to have anger issues. Uh, Okay, that's not that big of a deal either. 50% less likely to have bitterness in relationships. Now I'm telling you, Working in the church for the past 14 years, it is very evident, very evident that a lot of people can refrain from doing things like sins of the world. But when it comes to being hurt by people and dealing with relationships and being scorned and abused in certain ways, for however it may be, even Christians struggle significantly with being able to forgive people and move on and not hold bitterness and animosity towards other people. It's one of the biggest things that rots the American church and creates division inside of it. 50% less likely to have that. 57% less likely to get drunk. 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant. 61% less likely to view pornography. 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. And 74% less likely to gamble. It was found that overall, that these sinful, bad habits that a lot of people have, that just kind of seem like normal things of the world, that we as Christians consider sin, that for someone who reads Scripture four or more times a week as an adult was 61% less likely to have negative habit-forming behaviors, which we call sin. And for teenagers, it was 69% less likely. And we got a lot of young people in here today, and we got a lot of parents who have young kids in here today. And so let me just remind you of something, parents, because you were a teenager at one time. You can't watch your kids 24-7, right? Nobody watched you 24-7. You knew, you know what went on whenever you got out of mom and daddy's sight and your friends and what was going on and things that you participated in, right? You can't watch them. You can't tell them enough what they should and should not do. But we serve a God who is present everywhere at every time. 
can speak in any moment in any time. And you have God's word, which is right here, that is relaying a message to your children that says, I love you. I got a bigger plan for your life than just things of the world. And if you can promote scripture reading to your children, 69% less likely that they will engage in negative habits, which the church calls sin. So if you want to guard them from sin and the consequences that come with sin, this is what you need to be promoting to them. Do not neglect the power and authority in the eternal aspects of God's word. It's one of the greatest mistakes that we will have as Christians. But the amazing thing, all that stuff's cool, like it's amazing. The more amazing thing is not just about what God's word is calling us and convincing us not to do. Because that's what the world thinks is annoying, right? The world's just always like, well, being a Christian is just about what you can't do. It's just trying to limit you, box you in, all this stuff. What's even more amazing is the power of God's word to influence, to do things that God does want them to do. The hard stuff. Because if you're sitting here this morning and you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ and you're not reading God's word, chances are you don't feel very adequate in your relationship with God. You're not going to be as willing to share your faith, to give testimony. If you're living in sin which God's word apparently keeps a lot of people from doing, you're not going to be as, as quick to share your testimony because you're going to feel like a hypocrite, right? Nobody wants to do that. You, just, you don't, you don't want to be that because nobody likes a hypocrite. So we refrain from doing what God calls us to do because we're not reading God's word and doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing. But when you see people who read Scripture four or more times a week they were 228% more likely to share their faith with others. The 30 to 74% of stuff that we talked about earlier, those percentages are significant. But when you start talking about 228% more likely, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like finances or anything, but if you have a 228% gain on stocks or some kind of income, that's significant. And when you talk about your life and your spiritual life and what God's calling you to do, 228% more likely to share your faith with somebody else by reading God's word four or more times a week. You want to produce fruit? You want to live for the Lord? You want to see somebody get saved as a result of your life? This is the answer. It tells you how to do it. It teaches you how to do it. It prepares you how to do it. And like it said in, in Timothy earlier, the first passage, it reveals things that are wrong in your life and it teaches you how to do what's right so that you feel ready to do it. 231% more likely to disciple others. This is something inside the American church that is almost non-existent. It's one thing to go out there and share your faith with somebody one time that you never met before and you might never meet again. It's a whole other thing to devote your life and your time to one person or two people or more people day in, day out, week in and week out to train them up in God's word, to train them up in the service of Christ and hopefully that one day they will do the same thing with other people. That's discipleship. That's exactly what Jesus did with the 12 disciples and that's why we have the church birthed out of nothing in less than 50 years. You with me today? 231% more likely to disciple others. 
407% more likely to memorize Scripture, which makes perfect sense because it's hard to memorize Scripture if you don't read it. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. And what's amazing is, is that that is what God wants you to do. You with me today? Like, it, it's, it's important to realize, yes, there are things that God wants us to refrain from, but the most powerful aspect of God's word is the influence it has in what he wants us to do rather than not what he wants us to do. And you don't have to be an expert at it. People who read scripture four more days a week, you don't have to dig into this thing six hours a day, seven days a week in order for this to have an impact in your life. 200 to 400% just reading it, just you reading it, this can have a great impact in your life and your service for the Lord. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Let's go back to this great chapter. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You with me today? If you're looking for the answer in your life, God, how do I kick this habit? How do I kick this addiction? How, how do I get over this sin in my life that just keeps plaguing me and bringing me down? It's like I thought by now I would be over this. God's word is the answer. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. It's eternal. The question is, is whether or not we are using it efficiently. Point number three, the word is essential. It is absolutely essential in your life. You need it. Whether you want to admit it or not, you absolutely need it. There are so many people who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ that are not living for him. They're not witnessing. They're not bearing any fruit whatsoever. And we don't want to be people like that. We want to be people who are working for the kingdom and building God's kingdom. But you have to realize how essential God's word is in your life. And if you look at the statistics that we just shared from that study, how can you deny it? How can you deny the power and the impact that God's word could have in your life if you'd be willing to step out on faith and say, I don't have time, I don't have the energy, I don't have what it takes to cut something out in your life and just say five minutes one short chapter, a few verses. I'll just read 10 verses a day to take it and just commit your life to it and say, God, I'm willing to do this because I want to see the work that you can do in my life. In the last moments as Jesus is, is living and he's getting ready to go to the cross, <clears throat> he's praying for his disciples. In John chapter 17, listen to what he says. Verses 14 through 17. It says, I have given them your word. We could stop right there. The fact that Jesus came and he lived and he taught the disciples and he gave them God's word. He fulfilled every aspect of the Old Testament and he's done everything he needed to do to bring about the word of the New Testament. But we'll keep going. <laughs> And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. 
I'm not asking you take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. In verse 17, this most beautiful part. Make them holy or sanctify them or purify them. Set them apart, okay? Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. I don't talk about this a whole lot. I don't like to talk about doctrine and all that stuff and get in all these arguments with people and all that stuff. I like to teach about God's word. But since we are a Wesleyan church... And the Wesleyan church has always promoted holiness and sanctification and this whole aspect of of being in a relationship with God that your life is clearly defined and set apart and different from the rest of the world. It's one of the greatest things I personally like about our denomination. And that's one of the greatest things that we talk about and we say all the time. And as believers in Jesus Christ, I feel like Scripture affirms that over and over and over and over again that we as individuals are not supposed to look or act like the world, that we are supposed to be set apart, holy, and sanctified in the name of Jesus Christ. If you want to argue, now's the time. But the only way that you can be made holy is to get in God's word and obey it, to know it. You can't listen to what I say. You can't listen to what mom and daddy says or some great aunt or, you know, some, some, some great elder of the church who stands up and shouts every once in a while. It's not about them or what they say. It's about what God says. It's about the amazing power of God's word to stick in your life and go with you even when you're not reading it. That whenever you're out in the world and you're provided the opportunities to engage in things of the world or sin, that God's word whispers to you and reminds you, this is not for you. I've got something better for you than this. I've got something more powerful, more beneficial, more rewarding, something eternal for you so much better for you than what you have the opportunity to do right now. And if you're not reading in God's word, you're not going to be reminded that that's what God has for you. You with me today? Can I be honest with you? Church isn't enough. I'm a pastor standing here in a church this morning, and I'm telling you, you could go to church every single Sunday 52 weeks out of the year, another one on leap year if you get it in or whatever, however that works out. For your entire life, you could go to church. Church is not enough. You saw on the statistics, one day a week is not enough. There's no difference. And if you come to church and that's the only time that you rely on God's word to speak into your life, that's not enough. You're not going to look any different from the rest of the world. You could go Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Not enough. And prayer is not enough. When you look at that statistic, you go home and you Google that research, Center of Bible Engagement. You Google it and you pull up the article and you read it. You'll have to click through and scroll through some PDFs and do a little bit of reading. But there's an article in there and there's some graphs in there. And it even talks about prayer. People who prayed every single day who professed to be a Christian 
If they prayed every day and did not read Scripture at least four times a week, it had little to no effect in their life, whether it was smoking, drunkenness, premarital sex, pornography, gambling, any kind of bad habits. You could pray every day, and you could go to church once a week. had absolutely no effect in their life whatsoever. It was God's Word that went with them and reminded them of the things that they shouldn't do and the things that they should be doing. That's the power of God's word in your life. You can confess your heart to Jesus Christ. You can ask him to forgive you of your sins, and there's power in that. And you can pray, which you should be praying, but I'm going to tell you, your relationship with God, it's a complete package. And there are many of you who are sitting in here this morning, and you're married, and you're in relationships with people. Maybe you just have a kid, and you know inside those relationships, they're good, there's great aspects about them, but they're not complete in some way, shape, or form. There's something that you wish your spouse would do for you that they're not doing. There's some way you wish they would treat you that they don't do. There's something you wish your kids would do. There's something you wish your parents would do that they're not doing. There's something in that relationship that's not complete. And I'm telling you today, you cannot just come to God in one angle and just say, this is what I want. I want eternal life, and I want to serve you. I want to profess my faith in you because there's a whole world out there. You look at the statistics. It's like 70% of people in America still claim faith in Jesus Christ, profess him as Lord and Savior. But they don't live like it. Laws are being changed every day so that sin can become more and more and more prevalent. And God's word and his laws and his, his ways can become more and more and more suppressed. You've been taught this since you were a child. And it's given you the wisdom to receive the salvation upon which has been preached to you. There's power in God's word. There's power in it for salvation, power in it for living for him, power in it not just to not do stuff, but the power in helping you do the stuff that you're supposed to be doing. It's harder to do what God calls you to do than it is not to go out and sin. There's a lot of people in the church who are really good at not going out and sinning in ways of the world, but they're not doing all the things that God's called them to do. Right? Second Timothy 2.15 says, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. So let's talk about it for a second. Salvation is not based off works. There's nothing you could do to earn or deserve salvation. But make no mistake about it, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are called to work. Don't neglect the job that you've been called to do. And you have to work hard so that you can explain the word of truth in your life to other people. You're going to have to stand before God one day and give an account of that. And eternal life, is that not the goal? That's why I started it, because I wanted to live in heaven. I didn't want to live in hell. I wanted to live eternally. That's the whole reason I got started, and God wrote me into the rest of it. Never intended on being in ministry, never intended on preaching, never, like, that was not a single plan in my life. I started out because I wanted to live eternally. Life is temporary. 
right? It's amazing how temporary it is. It's amazing how the older you get, the more you realize like it is really short, really short, really temporary. Can you imagine what it'd be like if people just like promoted to their kid, high school's it. Those four years of high school, they're the greatest years of your life. We're going to prep you for high school. We're going to buy you all the fanciest clothes. You're going to win beauty pageants. You're going to be the prom queen. You're going to be, you know, the the star athlete. You're going to make the north-south all-star team. this This is all life is about is what you're going to accomplish in high school And then after that, it doesn't matter. That sounds crazy, right? I've never heard anybody say that. But I've seen a lot of people communicate that. And it's foolish. Because how long does high school last? It should be four. For some others, it lasts longer. Four years. And then after four years, it's over, said and done. And one of the craziest things I remember, like high school was always just like, it was like this ultimate goal of what you could accomplish in high school. And then all of a sudden I went to college and it was funny because at college, nobody cared about Chesney. Nobody cared about what you accomplished back there an hour and a half away up the road in nowhere. Nobody cared. Like, and it would be foolish of us to prepare people to just say, these four years of life are it, and that's the most important thing, and after that, it's just like, whatever. But that's the way we treat life. We communicate to our children and ourselves that work, job, insurance, retirement, school, life, sports, hobbies, these are the important things. And yet, we know it all comes to an end, right? And if you think about it, we would never look at our kids and say, high school's it, prepare your whole life, base your whole life around four years of high school. Because we know that's ludicrous. And why would we communicate to our children and ourselves, hey, base your whole life around here and now. Because you think about right now. Think about right now. This is the most important time, right? Is right now. Because some of you are hurting. Some of you are like emotionally, physically hurting. You're not healthy. You can't wait to, to get past this moment. Some of you, like you're worried about right now. You're worried about job. You're worried about childcare. You're worried about all this stuff right now, and this seems like the most important. But the thing that we know the most is that time keeps moving on. And even when we cease to be gone, when we're not here anymore, time's going to keep moving on. But there's something inside of your heart that says there's something beyond this life. Don't ignore that. You need to cling to that. You need to pursue that. And the answers that you need and the guidance you need in order for you to get there lies in God's word. And in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to the church there and he says, Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, You didn't think of our words as mere human ideas, but you accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. There's a decision that needs to be made in every one of our lives if we're just going to view this as just 
a word of humans and it's like a good advice, but it's not God's word, or if it's actually God's word and you're going to receive it as God's word and understand this is what's going to help you to make it to eternity and confidently stand before God one day. And there's a lot of people who go to their deathbed and they're scared to death to, to think about dying. It's like, you know, I, I say I'm a believer, but I'm just not ready to go. You know, I really like my life. And, and there's a difference between somebody who says, you know, I, I believe, but I'm just not ready to go yet, and I'm not in a hurry, and, and all this stuff. And then somebody who's like, whenever's fine with me, I'm ready to go. I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. I've devoted my life to this. I'm not perfect. It's not like I haven't sinned since I gave my life to Jesus, but I've done my best to live for him, to serve him, to obey his word, not just refrain from sin, but do all the good things that he's called me to do. And you look at the last part of verse 13 right there, and it says, and this word continues to work in you who believe. God's word is eternal. It's essential. And it will do all the work that it needs to do in your life, but it's only going to work in you if you believe. If you don't believe in it, it's not going to work. Your whole relationship with God is based off of faith. If you don't believe in God, it's not going to work. If you don't believe in his word, it's not going to work. If you don't believe that this is the way that you should live your life, it's not going to work. And the whole goal is eternity, right? You want eternal life? <coughs> you want to live for the Lord? Go to heaven? I mean, that's what it's all about. Whether we realize it or not, that's what every single person, that's kind of what we're shooting for. <clears throat> to be remembered. To stay with the world a little longer. There's something in us that craves it, desires it. <clears throat> but don't be misled by the world. Pick up God's word and read what it says. Read how to get there. Read how to accomplish the task for which you are called to do because God's word's the answer 40 days I've been asking you guys commit to it for 40 days read God's word for 40 days see how it changes your life I believe that I believe that it will change your life and you can look at the statistics just 4 days a week significantly impacts people's life if they would just invest in God's word but you gotta believe it in order to be able to invest in it and receive the eternal power that comes from it. Will you read it? Will you make it a part of your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for all these wonderful people, all the wonderful mothers. Thank you for the opportunity to read your word. And I pray, God, that you would set a fire inside the hearts of every person here, every person listening in, every person watching. I pray, God, that you would help us to see how eternally valuable your word is to our lives. It is going to be one of the difference makers in being able to stand before you in eternity with confidence, not because of what we've done, not because of what we accomplished, but to just know that we were obedient and we did the best we could to how you called us to do it. And Lord, we could stand before you in eternity like that. We love you. 
We thank you so much for this day, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.